Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're talking about Fight Club. Shh. Don't talk about Fight Club. <gasps> we're breaking the first two rules. Do not talk about Fight Club. Okay, I don't need to talk about Fight Club, but I do need to talk about the fact that for five decades, Brad Pitt has had fantastic abs. <laughs> he has maintained those abs since he was a teenager. And I can I say I appreciate the commitment. I do too. Who's, I don't know what if it's genetic or whether he just really actually works out that much. But yes, uh, it's pretty I think phenomenal. It's yes, I think both. <laughs> it's yes. I think it's yes. I think he's blessed with gorgeous genetics. Yeah. And a lot of talent. And he works his every bit of ab fat off. <laughs> it's when he laughs. That laugh must be the best ab workout oh, on the planet. There you go. If you ever heard him laugh in this movie, it is just hysterical. It's just contagious. And it's so awkward because he's bloody and weird and psychotic. And it's just awesome. It's, I really... But can we just give him a round of applause, yes. y'all? Because you know what? He finally, finally has been recognized by the Academy. Yep. Finally. I agree. And he, that was an amazing role. Oh, if you have I not seen, seen it. Oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, fan-freaking-tastic. Okay. You got to go see it and talk about those abs. Oh, do you get to see them? Oh, the abs are out again. <laughs> they really are. And, you know, um, he's playing an older gentleman. Uh-huh. Not old by any stretch, no. but older. And, you know, he's just, he rocks it even as an older man. So... Oh. You know, not that he's older, but the character is. Yeah. I mean, I guess he is technically. He's but in his fifties. Yeah, but I mean, you know, in the in the movie, I guess he kind of plays somebody who's meant to be a little bit, a little bit even older than that. But mm-hmm. um, but he finally won his Oscar, Academy Award winner, Brad Pitt. Yeah, good for him. My husband, we were at your Oscar party, mm-hmm. and my husband leans over and he goes, "Does Brad Pitt really need an Oscar at this point?" <laughs> <laughs> I think he was thinking of it as in, does he really need this to help his career? Isn't he like completely famous and can really do whatever he wants? And I was like, it's validation. Everybody likes to be told they did a good job. Everybody, especially when you've been snubbed while like, being re- a... Because he's pretty. Yeah. I and mean, seriously. They just snubbed him for years and he has carried so many awesome films. Yeah. Not to mention this one. This one. This one. One of my favorite, okay. favorite movies ever. Really? It's, it's weird. It is weird. I mean, I, I didn't dislike it, but I'm, it's one of those, like, I think I need to watch it again. And I like it more now that I've researched it. I've watched exclusively weird movies for the past couple of weeks. I watched <laughs> this. I watched Blade Runner, which was weird. That's a weird movie. But also <laughs> was, slow. It was good. I just don't enjoy it. Okay. Whereas like Fight Club oh. is good and I enjoy the crap out of it. Yeah. It's this, awesome. This movie, I'm not at all surprised that you like this movie. Right? This is right this, up my alley. Yes. Like knowing you, I'm like, <laughs> of course Jackie likes this. Of course she likes this. And you are right. If you rewatch it, you will be so surprised. Like there are things I've got to ask you today because okay. I want to know whether you noticed them or not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to watch it very like critically and in, in, intentionally. So, all right, let's talk about who's in it. Yeah. All right. So first of all, it was directed by David Fincher. 
And he did, for the first decade of his career, lots of, like, short films. And then he jumped into his feature film directorial debut with Aliens 3. I was like, holy smokes, that's like a big budget, like, franchise. And he jumped in as his first one? Huge, right? Huge. Then, of course, he did Seven, which we've covered. (sighs) April 2019, we covered that. Panic Room, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, lots of episodes of Mindhunter, and then my very favorite, which a lot of people don't really know this movie, which I'm surprised because it has Michael Douglas in it. The game. Oh, the game is good. I love the game. We've got to cover that we at some point. We should cover that. It is literally one of my favorite movies. My husband and I both love this movie. It's one of those movies that we both really agree on. We, we're typically on the same page movie-wise. There's some that I'll watch that he doesn't care about and doesn't want to watch. Like he didn't have any interest in watching Blade Runner, which is fine. But the game, it like I can remember we had HBO in the late 90s. <laughs> And it would come on HBO and it didn't matter where it was in the movie. If we flipped the channel, because you had to flip channels then to figure out what Uh was on. Use the clicker. Yeah, yeah. And if it was on, that's what stayed on. Same. That If I happen to catch it on TV, it just stays on. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so good. That and Gattaca. Have you ever seen Gattaca? No. Ooh, that one's good too. We should watch that one sometime too. Oh. It's all about... I've never heard of it. Oh. It's got Ethan Hawke and Jude Law. How in the world have I not seen this movie? It's a, it's a little slow, but it's it's a little sci-fi and a little crimey, and I think you might really like okay. it. Okay. All right. All right. I have, I have, I have take fond that memories of that movie, but we'll we'll add that to our list. Look awesome. at that. Look at us. Programming right here at the beginning of the I show. I know. Boy. <laughs> So you know what, though? If you guys out there have comments or suggestions, uh-huh. Anything you should you'd... absolutely throw it our way because we're in absolute plan mode right now. That's right. So we would definitely love to hear from you. We'll so... shift stuff around if you have a suggestion. We, we have some plans, but if you come at us, that's nothing that can't move. Truth. <laughs> the game is like a 20-something-year-old movie. It can wait. It can wait. It can wait. <laughs> But Fight Club can't. Fight Club can't because we're all ready to talk about it today. Ed Norton as the narrator or sometimes called Jack. Mm-hmm. They had uh, they call him Jack when they talk about him like in the special features on the DVD that I watched because they had to give him a name of some kind. So they just put Jack down for his lines. Yeah. Well, and he has the whole thing about the book. I am Jack's. Yeah. You know. Uh, he was in The People versus Larry Flint, which is how he got this book role uh american history x the illusionist the incredible hulk in 08 which i didn't remember Uh, moonrise kingdom and he got a best supporting actor nom for birdman that was a great film it was so good it was so good and then brad pitt as tyler durden yay i mean what is there to say i mean he was he's worked a ton with david fincher We've covered him before in Seven, and then, of course, he was in Benjamin Button and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I think, really, he was famous for that because he got together with Angelina Jolie right after that. And Well, yeah, yeah that, that was, was a big that, scandal. That was, like, 
tabloid scandal big stuff. scandal big scandal and then one of your favorites interview with a vampire oh yeah that's yeah. a great one i love 12 monkeys oh i love 12 monkeys oh my gosh he's so he's, he's so weird he's so weird i love it it's great i love it when he's weird yeah me too so there's one other movie we have to mention about edward norton oh okay primal fear <gasps> oh we have to mention primal fear because there is a common thread in ed norton's ability to portray certain things with excellence. Okay, you point and it those started out. with Primal Fear. Ooh. Have you seen Primal Fear? I don't. If it, if I did, it's been long enough ago that I don't remember it well. Oh, that's got Rob Redford in it. Maybe not. Oh man, Primal Fear was his breakout film. <laughs> HBO failed me in the late nineties, evidently, because I didn't see Primal Fear. <laughs> oh man, it was so good. <laughs> then we have Meatloaf as Bob. Bob. Uh, <laughs> Bob. Richmond Arquette was the doctor, and he was in a bunch of movies with Fincher and Brad Pitt. Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer. She was in, of course, a ton of stuff. I think maybe her like biggest, most recognizable role is Bellatrix Lestrange from Harry Potter. But she did a ton of TV, which I didn't really realize until I started looking at all of her credits. But I loved her in Big Fish from 2003. I didn't see that. Oh, it's weird, but it's fun. It's well, very interesting. She very is a very time. unique face. Yeah. Um, I al- always notice her on yeah. the screen, but she's always good. Everything she does. Yeah. And then Jared Leto has oh. angel face. I mean, you know, lead singer, 30 Seconds to Mars, Dallas Buyers Club, Suicide Squad is the Joker. But to me, forever. Always. Jordan Catalano. Absolutely. From my so-called life. That's when I fell in love with Jared Leto and Claire Danes. Oh, yes. I had such a girl crush on Claire Danes. Uh-huh. I still kind of do Wanted even to though. be her. Oh. <laughs> All right. So let's recap this bad boy. Oh, yeah. Let's oh. try to recap this. By the way, if you have not seen this movie, not only spoiler alert, right? Uh, this is not going to be an easy one to recap. No, Just gonna... so you understand, like if you're trying to get the gist, we'll give you the gist, but there is way a lot in this movie that recapping is just never going to do justice. Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of it's visual and uh-huh. I mean, it's just, it's oh. okay. So I bought the 10th anniversary DVD oh, to did watch you really? this. Yeah. Okay. So I put the DVD in and I'm adjusting sound and I'm getting, getting ready and I had put it in and all of a sudden... Drew Barrymore pops up on the screen. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? And then it comes up with a DVD menu of never been kissed. And I'm like, what? They put the wrong Bloomin' DVD <gasps> in my my case. I'm no. so, I was, I was so mad. And then it devolves into the Fight Club. It was a total joke. Awesome. Big David Fincher thing. He was like, I think it'd be really funny to make it look like it's an... <laughs> freak people out i'm like okay so that set the whole mood for the whole movie for me i'm like this is what i kind of who is this bastard and why is he lying to me the whole thing Well, good that's a good attitude to have in this movie (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we start out the narrator is being held in a building with a gun in his head and we're told if we pay attention the twist ending right here in the very beginning i know this because tyler knows this there's the film. There, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I mean, I, it's one of those, like, it was kind of obvious to me. And I, I'm trying to figure out if it was obvious to me because I kind of knew. 
I did. I could. I didn't know who was whose hallucination. Right. You didn't know who was the original personality and who was the right going into it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I know this because Tyler knows this. That should be a huge red flag right there. Yep. So and I could is. totally see myself in 1999 having not caught that. You know, it's true. Something about being able to look back at that time frame before the whole DID became so well known and uh, maybe overused a yeah. little bit in in film, but um, they don't make it hard to feel it. Feel I it out because no. they I, there's clues all throughout the yeah. film. Yeah, but that's what makes it so amazing is that it doesn't rely on the twist at all. No, it really doesn't. It it's really... just so flippant, entertaining the whole way, and it's got bigger themes going on. Yeah, there's so it doesn't rely more. on the twist, right? There's a tired man. It's the narrator. Exhaustion makes his life not feel real. He's obsessed with Ikea. And I wrote, how quaint that he orders from the toilet while talking to a real person looking at a paper magazine. I know, it's like, so oh, great. It's quaint. I mean, I used to have those Ikea catalogs. Oh, okay. The I, big paper, like the heavy ones. I still get them. Do you still get them? They get them. They send them to me in the mail every once in a while. I would be so unproductive in life. Oh. I can't keep that in my house. No. Because <laughs> nope. you just want to look at all the it's, pretty pictures. Yes. Something mm-hmm. about getting into that catalog. You're right. You do want to make your whole room look like page 57. Uh-huh. Because it's all, it's all so clean and it's <sighs> a pretty and white and it would take me an eon to put it all together. But but you I know like- what? It is good to know that people do all of those things on the toilet and we still do. We just do it on our phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't actually have to talk to anybody. Well, that, and and our better. catalog needs charging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So a doctor friend tells him he cannot die of insomnia and won't give him medicines. He tells him to chew valerian root exercise and visit the testicular cancer support group to put it all in perspective. And at six minutes and 19 seconds, we see Brad Pitt flash on the screen right next to this doctor. So you saw it. I, I saw it. Okay. Okay. So I think there's one before that, actually, when he's making copies. Mm-hmm. And he flat... I missed that one. Okay. But I saw that one, and I was... I thought something was wrong with my DVD. Oh, yeah, because that was again, a little longer. Again. <laughs> I thought something was wrong with my DVD. So I rewound it and watched it frame by frame. That's how I found out it was six oh, minutes and 19 seconds. Gotcha. <laughs> Not because I looked it up, but because I rewound it. And that's why it took me like four hours to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because I kept doing that. But, so I'm just, I'm just happy you noticed the flashes. Because I know. Yes. That's a big deal. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I saw there were reports of before we actually meet Tyler, there's somewhere between four and six of these. Mm-hmm. The accounts differed. And I think some people counted later when you see him in the airport mm-hmm. at, when he's going on the opposite oh, yeah, walking because runway. You, it's not a flash. He literally he's, is right yeah, there. He's right. Yeah. So I kind of didn't count that one. So yeah, cause yeah, that's not that's, a flash frame. No, but there's these like flashes. Yeah. So we meet Bob who's played by meatloaf at the testicular cancer support group. And the narrator cries and finally sleeps and he becomes addicted to attending support groups and he found that when you say nothing, people assume the worst. <laughs> we get, I, there's so many things I want to say and quote, but this is family friendly. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's as family friendly as you can 
talk about Fight Club and be family friendly. <laughs> but but Bob has a special special thing. Uh huh. Yeah, um, he's got a bosom. He has. Thank you. That's the perfect word. He has a yes. bosom, and, yes, and because it was of, very comforting. Yeah. To to our character. Yeah. And then he found solace in that bosom. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to enjoy the guided meditation where he meets his power animal in an ice cave, a penguin. Um, all's good until Marla Singer crashes the testicular cancer support group. Is this cancer? <laughs> and then he starts seeing her at all his groups. Then he says, her lie reflected my lie. And suddenly I felt nothing. I'm like, ooh, Ooh, There's so many quotable quotes. Resemble that marks. Oh my gosh. So many quotable quotes. Like almost every line of this movie. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. His insomnia returns and Marla replaces the penguin in the narrator's ice cave fantasy. The narrator finally confronts Marla and they have I, this little interesting discussion. He says, when people think you're dying, they really, really listen to you. And she answers, instead of waiting for their turn to speak. I'm like, oh, yeah, because you you can tell when you're talking to somebody and they're just waiting for their turn to talk. Yep. And we're all guilty of it at some yeah. point, I think. Yeah. But we do it far more often than it is appropriate. Right. We really do, I think. Ah, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. Yeah. Such a good quote. <laughs> they argue and they decide they're going to sp- split up their... Support group meetings. Marla steals some clothing from a laundromat and then almost gets hit by several cars, sells the clothes in a resale shop. They exchange phone numbers and his number doesn't have a name on it. The narrator wakes in an airport without really knowing how he got there. He passes Tyler on a moving sidewalk, which we mentioned already, and then gets this hot meal Again, quaint on the airplane. <laughs> I remember those little hot meals. <laughs> oh, yeah, the chicken cordon bleu. With all the little single serving uh-huh. things, including single serving glass salt and pepper shakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. He tells us also about how seatmates on an airplane are single serving friends, which I'm like, that's so true. What a fine point to put on that. Because let me tell you, I try and be like, conscious when I'm on an airplane of not talking to people who don't want to be spoken to. Right. That's smart. That's very kind of you. But I also kind of like to talk to people on planes. And if somebody seems amenable to it, mm-hmm. we'll chat it up. I met one of my dearest friends on an airplane. I love you, Colleen. Aww. <laughs> because it was 7.15 in the morning and she was drunk because she was afraid to fly. And <laughs> We were newly married on our way for a trip to Disney World, and we were flying through Atlanta, and she was flying to Atlanta, uh-huh. and she was real chatty because she gets real chatty when she's drunk. <laughs> she doesn't have to drink anymore to ride airplanes. She visits she, a doctor she, and gets some Xanax, and it's good. Oh well, that's <laughs> it's a, which is much better. It's a you know much. She's much more like in tune with. What is happening around her? That's smart. It's it's really, you know, I, I applaud you, Colleen. Your dearest. Yes. I was so glad that she was open to... To like, talk, because to talk. we became friends. And we've been friends for like 20 years. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's 20 years this spring. Aww. And I'm like, aw. So I try, I like to talk to people. <laughs> what a great story, yeah, though. I yeah, love that. Thanks. Well, to be fair... You know, our narrator. 
Uh He meets a good friend on the airplane, too. Yeah, he sure does. He wakes up and uh, Brad Pitt's right next to him. But while he's sleeping, he has a dream slash fantasy of a midair collision. Yes. And then he wakes up to uh, meet Tyler next to him. How he did not know he was there or that he wasn't there, that he had an empty seat next to him. All very up in the air. But whatever. Tyler's next to him. And Tyler... A salesman of soap, <laughs> yeah, is uh, regales him with some facts. Oxygen masks on our plane to get you real high so that you accept your fate. Equal parts of gasoline and frozen orange juice make napalm. <laughs> the way that Tyler says these things, and he's all just so matter of fact. Oh, people can make explosives out of many household items. Is that true? If one were so inclined, <laughs> <It's just> so- <laughs> yes. The way that he says those little things that are just... It's so... It's, it is, actually. You know, like the little yeah. the little lines. Those are what puts Brad Pitt's acting over the top. Because those little lines are almost, almost more memorable to me than the big, heavy quotes. And Edward Norton is carrying these big, heavy quotes throughout the whole thing. And I'm giggling over, it is, actually... <laughs> It's just that team between Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, they should do more things together. Agreed. Agreed. So they get off the plane and after dealing with uh, lost vibrating luggage, (laughs) (laughs) he watches Tyler steal a convertible and the narrator returns home to find that his condo is in flames and his Ikea furniture is all over the street. And the only thing left that's usable is Marla Singer's phone number. And there's this amazing quote about his life, and there's no food and all condiments. Yes. And it's just such a representation of his life. Yeah. That, there's, that it was that like... is empty of food, but filled with condiments. Yeah. It, yeah. It was <sighs> profound. It was and profound. funny. <laughs> so he calls Marla, and she answers, but he gets nervous and hangs up. And then he calls Tyler, and there's no answer. But the telephone rings. Tyler star 69 him because he doesn't answer the phone. <laughs> okay, just let's let's go ahead and define star 69. Oh. Because there's probably a lot of people who have no idea what that is. Yeah. So star 69, back when you had touch-tone phones and call waiting, but cell phones weren't quite ubiquitous yet. And they were before even cell phones. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. before that, but yes. yeah. Yeah. If you wanted to find out, if somebody called you and hung up, you could star six nine on the keypad and it would call back the last number that had called you. Basically, it was rudimentary color ID. Y- yeah. So you could, <laughs> you could call back the person who just hung up on you and harass them for hanging up on you. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is really, it was like old guys, mostly. The, mo- old guys and teenagers. I was about to say, to, and teenagers. Yeah. Oh, what was really fun is if you star 69 and then it was somebody who you had a crush on and see, they had called and then like lost their nerve. And now you know that they like you Uh and then you can tell them you like them. And then, you know, it's great fun. Yeah. Good days. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. We always had the rotary phones when I was a kid, so I couldn't star 69 anybody. Really? (laughs) When did you get a touch tone phone? You use that term like it's so normal. And probably also people are going, touch tone phone? What's that? It means if your button makes a tone, uh-huh. like, a, like it sings a note, yeah. that's touch tone. 
right? And a rotary phone didn't have that. Yeah, it had a little dial mm-hmm. that you turned. We're going to see some of those in this movie in a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, the men meet at a bar. And they kind of lament that they know what duvets are. And Tyler invites the narrator to stay with him, but only if they fight first. So they have an altercation in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in addition to selling soap, we learn that Tyler's a movie projectionist, which allows him to splice single frames of dirty movies into family films, and is a waiter who's wears headphones at a luxury hotel, which we assume he keeps his job because he's hot. And this allows him to pee in the soup. (laughs) Uh, Menace to society. (laughs) Actually, by the way, guys, this is the actual definition of antisocial. In case anybody is still confused about what antisocial is. We're going to talk about that because I I heard you in my head the whole time I'm watching this. I'm like, he's antisocial. (laughs) as I attack my lamp. (laughs) So Tyler's house is really run down, but the men really kind of love it. There's, we have a whole montage of lots of bars and fighting and uh, the narrator's bored at work, but he's kind of kicking ass at work, but he's kind of bored and they're a little afraid of him. A bar closes and a bunch of men head down to a dingy basement And then we hear the words we've been waiting for. Welcome to Fight Club. You can be yourself and it's not about winning. It's about how everyone feels saved at the end. But there are rules. Eight of them. Yep. One and two are the same. Yes. Don't talk about Fight Club. Uh, But the second one is do not talk about Fight Club. Right. Just in case the contraction confused people. Yes. (laughs) The fight is over if someone goes limp, gives up, or taps out. Two guys to a fight, one fight at a time, no shirt, no shoes. Fights last as long as they have to. And if it's your first time, you have to fight. That's right. So Marla calls out of the blue. She calls the narrator out of the blue. And she hasn't seen him hit groups, (laughs) which was, you know, the point of splitting them up for eight weeks because she's been cheating. She's been hoping to run into him. And then she tells him that she thinks she's taken too much Xanax. And the narrator leaves the phone off the hook and Tyler picks it up and he goes over to her apartment and collects her and they begin an intimate relationship. (laughs) Yes. That's one way to put it. He has to keep her awake all night. Yeah. Yeah. Because because she's taken too much Xanax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now work's going less well for the narrator. Things have taken a turn. Uh, He gets a call from an arson detective that Freon was used to freeze and break his lock and that the explosion wasn't a gas leak, though gas contributed to it. It was homemade dynamite. Hmm. Some homemade products, if one were so inclined. Yes, if one were so inclined. Marla puts the moves on the narrator, having after just been with Tyler... Marla and Tyler are never in the same room, and Tyler orders the narrator to not talk about Tyler to Marla. It's like, don't talk to her about me. Don't. Okay. So the two men then steal uh, fat from the liposuction clinic (laughs) to render the tallow. It's so funny and gross and weird. (laughs) Every time I watch that, I have to pause and laugh. It's so 
funny. And the narrator's whole description of what's going on, and it's just, I mean, it's absolute hoot. Yeah. It, it's, it's dark, y'all. It's, it's very so dark. dark. Don't get but, me wrong. This is not like pop funny. This is dark comedy at its best. Uh-huh. Yes. It speaks to Jackie on a deep, <laughs> deep level. <laughs> So he talks about how, you know, you render the tallow and then you get glycerin and, oh, by the way, you can make nitroglycerin. And once you have nitroglycerin, you can make dynamite. If one were so inclined. If one were so inclined. (laughs) Then Tyler gives the narrator a chemical burn, which is weird. The whole thing is like, be present in your life. Oh, it's a level of too present, but... The men sell the soap to department stores for $20 a bar. We were selling rich women their own fat asses back to them. <laughs> then, and it's so funny because the, the lady at the counter is just like melting all over. This is the best, best soap, soap ever. And he's just looking at her like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Narrator, the narrator leaves the fight club rules in the copier and then threatens a mass shooting. And he says, Tyler's words coming out of my mouth. Again, we're having more clues as to what's going on here. If you're paying attention, the narrator runs into Bob. He's not going to support group anymore because he's going to fight club on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, you kind of get the idea that Ed Norton didn't know that there were other days. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I thought it was only Saturday night, man. So there's lots of new faces at Fight Club, which means people have been breaking the first two rules, right, left, and center. Mm-hmm. Lou's Tavern is where Fight Club is held. <laughs> I love that scene. Lou shows up. Because the guy they have the agreement with is a bartender. And uh, he's hurt. I maybe has been there for Fight Club because he's got a broken Broken collarbone. Yeah. He doesn't like them there, but they end up with permission to be there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole thing. It's a thing and you got to go watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And this is when Tyler starts to give everybody homework. Pick a fight with a stranger and lose. And I wrote... Hello, antisocial behavior. Yep. It's totally true. (laughs) And then there's a really funny montage of people trying to pick fights. Because people generally will avoid fighting. Yes. And it's very difficult. Normal people will avoid fighting. It's very difficult to get somebody to fight. (laughs) So at one point, there's the mechanic and he sprays the... the clergy person who's walking on the sidewalk and the camera shakes a little bit because the cameraman was laughing so no, hard at that. I did not ca- Well, how would I tell I'm laughing? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know the that. The camera shakes a little bit because he was laughing <laughs> so hard. It's so funny. The, the guy turns around like, what are you doing? Spray him again. And yet you, it's hard to make people fight. I would just keep walking. Well, of course. Any normal person would. <laughs> Thank you for calling me normal. But I have to say, <laughs> if I had been on that street and I saw that happening, I I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> I'd become antisocial because I'd stand in the street pointing. <laughs> I'd start laughing like Tyler Durden. Yeah. I think. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, you know what? I'm realizing I'm a little antisocial myself. Oh, yeah, but not in a destructive way. I, yeah, I don't want to be destructive, but I don't think you. I don't. I don't think you have to be um, actually doing the things. I, I think it's. I think the fact that I think of it and that I think it's funny 
you know, I am a little antisocial, I think. I have it under wraps. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't really want to do those this things. This is why you can binge Black Mirror. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So work continues to decline for the narrator. And then he uh, beats himself up in his boss's office. And he says, for some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. Yes. I wonder why. And blackmails his boss, saying that he's going to go public with what he knows from his job because he inspects automobile accidents. It's a whole thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. This fight kind of seals the deal, the fake fight where he pretends that he got beat up by his, and he really like beats I the mean, tar out of himself. he really does. He really beats the tar out of himself. And now they have corporate sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now homework for Fight Club starts to vary. They're smashing satellite dishes, changing billboards, reversing spike strips, uh, <laughs> erasing. <laughs> my favorite. Sorry. <laughs> erasing videos at the video store with a magnet. Quaint. Oh man! So I many know. times I'm like, oh, it's quaint. It's such a weird word to think of. In relation to this movie. I but there know. were a lot of things that I was like, oh, you just don't see that anymore. You don't see these things anymore. Nope. Pigeons at a car dealership. Uh, airline safety brochures. Oh, with the with the terrified faces. <laughs> so funny. Uh-huh. Uh, explosion in an electronic store. And then an applicant appears on the porch. After three days of homelessness and abuse, he can begin his training, which... Ed Norton's very confused by this, but Tyler seems to have it under control. Yes. So Jared Leto joins the porch and then Bob, and then there's an army who are cleaning and gardening and making soap. And the group turns on the TV and celebrates a fire in a building, which the fires look like eyes and a smiley face. The narrator's really confused because he did. It's funny because the narrator is less antisocial. He doesn't really want to hurt anything. No, he like, really isn't. No. He's kind of, well, I mean, he's frustrated and he's trapped and he's looking for freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so he's, he's enthralled, right? But he's also not really interested in causing real harm because he can see predictable consequences that are right. adverse impacts of what they're doing right and so he's very worried about what's what's going to happen yeah with these things you know so he questions them like what's going on and they tell him the first rule of project mayhem is don't ask questions sir so then there's a fancy dinner and all these members of project mayhem are there and their servers and they silence a police commissioner or sheriff or some leader mm-hmm. in the police department um, so that they're not investigated. Then later in the car, Tyler admits to blowing up the narrator's apartment. Kind of poetic, since he investigated car accidents that they have a car accident. <laughs> after they argue about that. And after the car accident, Tyler disappears for a while. Yep, just so gone. He's just gone. Mm-hmm. He kind of waxes poetic about the end of the world and then just disappears. So a, a lot of the Project Mayhem members have uh, chemical burns on the back yes, of their hands. Yes, they do. Yeah. During a stunt, Bob is shot and killed by the police. 
And the narrator is really upset and he runs upstairs and he finds these airline vouchers and they all have the name Tyler Durden on them. And there's a whole bunch of cities. And so he's looking at them and then the phone rings and he picks it up. It's the arson detective. He doesn't want the narrator to leave because there's some fishy things about the explosion in his apartment. So what does he do? He hops on some planes. He leaves. And he, <laughs> he starts following all these places that Tyler went that's indicated on these stubs. He goes from city to city and he instinctively knows where a fight club is. So finally, he at a bar, there's a man with a halo and a chemical burn on his hand. And he finally tells him that he is Mr. Durden. The narrator calls Marla and asks if they've ever had sex. And she's understandably confused and angry. Yeah, very mad. Yeah. Very mad. And then it's... And she calls him Tyler. Well, he goes, say my name. Like, what's my name? What's my name? And kind of forces her. And she's the one who says, Tyler Durden, you know? Uh like, Yeah. And then, guess who appears? Tyler. Tyler. He just appears in the room. You broke your promise. You talk to her about me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and now it's spelled out for us. If you were still confused at all, then, it's a, like baldly laid out there uh-huh. for you. The narrator falls onto the bed and a, there's a scene change. And he says, it's called a changeover. The movie goes on and nobody in the audience has any idea. And it's like, oh, it knows it's a movie. I feel weird. I feel like I'm like, I'm really missing this. Maybe it'll click later. (laughs) I think it will because there's another instance where we know that it's a movie. Like we know that it knows it's a movie. It knows it's a story that it's not real life. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. So as the narrator leaves the hotel, he has to initial a long list of long distance phone calls. (laughs) Quaint. Long distance. (laughs) He uh, returns home to find it empty and starts calling the numbers on the manifest that he'd been given at the hotel the night before. And he realizes something really bad is about to happen. So he calls Marla and employs, implores her to leave town because he's afraid for her safety. So the narrator goes to the police, confesses a plan to blow up the credit card companies to erase the debt. And three of the cops are a part of Project Mayhem and are about to castrate him when he escapes from the police department pantless. (laughs) The narrator ends up at a building to find a van bomb and Tyler justifies it by saying the buildings are all empty. The narrator shoots Tyler, even though he knows that Tyler is him. Well, because he has to... He has to kill Tyler. Yes. Yes. He and he's trying to do that and he by shooting at him. And one of the funniest lines in the whole thing. You're shooting a gun at your imaginary friend near four hundred pounds of nitroglycerin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like and then there's this whole thing about the how you shoot yourself, you know, how you shoot yourself in the mouth and keeping your eyes open and mm. all of this stuff. And so that's what he ends up doing is he turns it on himself and put and then and Tyler's like no, you yeah. understand. And it's like, <laughs> like uh, you know, it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so then we end up at the very first scene of the movie again with the gun in Ed Norton's mouth. 
the project mayhem guys are bringing Marla and the narrator suddenly realize he's in control of the situation. The gun isn't in your hand. It's in my hand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, okay. So the narrator shoots himself in the mouth and Tyler's mouth smokes and he's dead. But the narrator only shot himself like through the cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Marla arrives first angry and then concerned and then the narrator assures her that things will be okay. And then the buildings all around them start to explode. And the movie fades. And there's this brief flash of a pornographic image. Yep. <laughs> because it knows it's a movie. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because that's what he did. And that now, obviously, this wasn't a family-friendly movie. <laughs> well, no. Not at all. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I was like... It knows it's a movie. And it's telling us that it knows it's a movie because it told us about the changeover. And then it told, which is a film term right, in, in yeah. a theater. I, mean, I guess I gotta get that. I just, yeah, I guess. And then, yeah. Yeah, well, no, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I see okay. what you're saying about that. It's kind of, yeah. So this movie, it bombed in 1999. It did not do and well in the so box office. funny because, you know, and like that last line where they're standing there watching all the all the buildings fall perfectly and he turns and says you met me at a very strange time in my life and it's like this most romantic thing ever and they're holding hands watching the city fall it's Mm -hmm. so funny yep oh it's great it cost 63 million dollars to make and only made back 37 million dollars in the box office and it eventually went on to make 101 million dollars worldwide but you know it was initially something about the title because yeah. I don't know how many people I had talked to throughout the years. And when you say Fight Club and they're like, oh, I don't like fighting movies. If yeah. you think Fight Club is about fighting, you have not seen this There's film. There's a lot of fighting in it, but it's not about fighting. No, it's really it's not. It's well, or not physical fighting is not really what it's about. Well, it's not really about fight clubs. No, it's not. It's about the internal struggle. Yes. It's, yeah. a ve- it's actually a really... It's deep me. sort of thought. Yeah. It's, this is, okay, I have to read this quote. So um, I pulled this up because this quote is really just representative of, of the whole thing, in my opinion. I mean, not of the movie, but like of the struggle. He's at Fight Club when he says this. We're the middle children of history. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war, a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And that's so true. Like this gen, this Gen X generation, even into millennials now, it, that is kind of what we have lived in because there's no external war. There's like this internal war of, of this prison we've built with, you know, office chairs and cubicles and Ikea furniture, and don't get me wrong, I love Ikea, yeah. but like there is this very interesting thing that happens. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. Yes, mm-hmm. I love that quote too. <laughs> it wasn't well-liked by critics. <laughs> I, I think uh, maybe Roger Ebert came around eventually, but you know, he gave Ready to Wear three stars and Fight Club only two Really? Yeah, he didn't like it back in 1999. What did he have to say? Fight Club is the most frankly and cheerful fascist big star movie since Death Wish. (laughs) 
Although sensible people know that if you hit someone with an ungloved hand hard enough, you're going to end up with broken bones, the guys in Fight Club have fists of steel. That's fair. Well, but- it's true. Again, though, we I, the way you put it kind of had me... A little confused, but the whole, it knows it's a movie thing. Yeah. You're right about that. Like, I see what you're saying. I don't think I thought of it in those words, which is why it was kind of hard for me to grasp. But yeah, I never really took it as a story that had a a realness to it. It's more of a fantasy dark comedy in a way. Yes, but even most fantasy dark comedies, like, have a, they take themselves seriously as far as their storytelling goes. Mm -hmm. And then... It like turns it on its ear as in, no, we know it's a movie. Yeah. Like we know. Yeah. yeah we know. Yeah. Cause it starts at the beginning with the flashes and you know, there's a lot of breaking the fourth wall in a way because yeah. he's talking to us. Like there's a lot of, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. They don't like so look at Robert the camera. Ebert did not, Roger Ebert didn't realize this. No, I think that, I think people just didn't get it then. I think I, I so. think it was ahead of its time. It was <laughs> and then, a little. There's that he quotes the movie. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything, he says, sounding like a man who tripped over the Nietzsche display on his way to the coffee bar in Borders. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fair. All right, let's take a quick break. Before we jump into Is It True, I have a little movie trivia that might be fun. Ooh, how fun. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Leave the Lights On is a true crime podcast with a paranormal twist. Join creator Eliza and her co-host as they explore terrifying true stories and chilling crimes. Growing up, Eliza had an odd obsession with the darkest desires of humanity and an insatiable curiosity about the afterlife. Now, each week, Eliza brings you tales that will make you want to lock your doors, hide in your room, and of course, leave the lights on. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Hey, I'm Stan. And I'm Drew. And we are your hosts of Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks is a fresh take on true crime podcasts. We are a father and son team from way back in the sticks of South Carolina. Yeah, in a town of less than 500. And we have a shared passion for all things true crime. So, every Saturday we get together and swap stories about a true crime event. We try and find the most twisted and vile losers of our human race. Now you won't hear a lot of endless banner on Bad in the Boondocks. But what you will hear is all the unedited facts on the cases we choose, no matter how gory or troublesome they are. And you'll hear it all with a unique southern flair. And along the way, you'll hear just the right amount of discussion and jokes to keep you and us from completely losing your mind. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya, and CastBox. Or just go to badintheboondocks.com and download all of our episodes there. So, come on down to the boondocks and get your redneck on with us. We promise, you'll have a good time. All right, so there's some little, like, trivia stuff about Fight Club that I thought was pretty fun from E! Online. I'm, like, nervous. Am I going to get this right or wrong? (laughs) Oh, I don't... It's not like a quiz. It's It's trivia. 
it's not like trivia like you went to last night. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I could make it that way. I, I get you. I get you. You want me to make it trivia? I'll make it trivia for you. I don't know. Let's do it once and see how I do. And then right. if I really suck at it, let's redo it and act like that didn't happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> James Alls adapted the screenplay. And while he was doing that, he did think the movie was going to get made. True or false? False. Yeah, that's right. He thought, this is fun, but this movie is never going to get made. Good job. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All one right. for one. Woo! Uh, okay. So now... <laughs> You have to change them all into questions. I have to change them all into questions. I was in a trivia mindset. You're right. Because, see, I I did go to trivia last night. I know. And I'm actually really bad at trivia. Okay. Uh, Maybe these are just going to be true and false. Because I don't think I can come up with multiple (laughs) choice answers. No, it's it's more fun. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. True or false? Helena Bonham Carter was the original choice for the role of Marla Singer. I gotta say true because I can't imagine anyone else. It's false. (laughs) It was actually Courtney Love who was Ed Norton's girlfriend at the time. It was Fincher who kind of talked him out of it. He said, I really think that that, you're too close. Yeah, no, that's a good call, David Fincher. I agree. I think that it was not, maybe, would not have been the best. No, that would not like have been work. good. Yeah, and it, you know it can't be anybody but Helena I don't. I don't see how anybody else but Marla could be so mysteriously endearing while being such a hot mess. Mm. Where other people, I just don't know. I mean, I don't want to doubt Courtney Love; she's got a lot of talent. But um, but I I don't know who else has that particular tenacity. To pull off such a put-together disaster. Yeah, oh, put-together disaster. That's a perfect way to talk about her. Okay, this one's a short answer. <laughs> Why is it thought that the original July 1999 release of Fight Club was delayed? What event transpired? In July of 1999? It was supposed to be released in July of 1999, this event happened prior to that, also in 1999, and they delayed the release of the film because of it. Oh, was that the bombing in New York, the oh, first one? No. That's that's a good thought, though. No, that would have made sense. <laughs> Columbine <laughs> oh. happened, and he threatened a mass shooting in now his that office. Makes and, sense. And they delayed the movie for Ironically, a couple this is the story that has to be told. Yes. Because this is actually what happens when people are cooped up. That mm-hmm. is what happens when people become lemmings. And it's so interesting because that angst was so, well, that Gen X angst, right? I mean, there's so many movies that tell this story in a more sanitized fashion a more palpable one, like, say, Office Space, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And a lot of them do. And this one just goes all out. But that really does make a lot of sense that they would be very sensitive about that. Mm -hmm. And they just put it off. They didn't end up changing the movie at all. They Mm. just pushed back the release a little bit. Yeah. Which... So it happened in July? No, No, it it happened happened in in April. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, but it was... The release was scheduled so for July, and they close. were like, yeah, it's, yeah, let's let's have a little more distance mm-hmm. from that. 
True or false, the movie was booed at the Venice Film Festival. True. (laughs) Yes, it it was. Edward and Brad Pitt were laughing out loud like the obnoxious Americans laughing at their own movie. (laughs) I thought they were going to be rabid cinephiles, Fincher said, I think the median age of the audience was 73. Oh, my god! <laughs> no wonder they didn't like no it. No wonder. <laughs> and it got booed. It wasn't playing well. And Brad Pitt says to one of the other people working on the movie, that's the best movie I'm ever going to be in. Oh. <laughs> he was so happy about it. He should be. <laughs> I wouldn't say... It's the best movie he's ever been in, but it was, I think it's definitely a good movie. It's a contender. Now, these are Huff Posts. Now I have to figure out how to turn these into questions. So (laughs) bear with me. So it was based on a book. I'm just going to say that now. It was based on a book by uh, Chuck Polinick, also of the same name. So it's good to know. It is good to know. Yeah. But also some of my trivia is based on that. Is on there. So true or false. People asked Chuck Polinick where they could join a real fight club. Oh, true. Oh, yeah. Oh, Men true. and women. People people really kind of caught on to this whole idea of fight well, club. Well, and they kind of missed the whole point. They missed the whole point of the because movie. Because, like, the point of was not to join a fight club. No. It was to find a way to give your life meaning and... And Tyler used the whole thing to recruit certain types of people uh-huh. who would be good in his army that he was building. That's right. True or false, Ed Norton suffered no injuries <laughs> while filming this movie. That's a hard one. I know. I think true. False. Oh, he did? He cracked his thumb on Brad Pitt's abs. <laughs> True or false, a woman named Auntie Godmother taught Ed Norton and Brad Pitt how to make soap. I'm going to go with true. Yes, (laughs) it is. She taught them both how to make soap for their roles so that they could do it convincingly. That's awesome. Yeah. True or false, Tyler and Marla are based off of real people. I want to say true. Yes. Because I've definitely known individuals <laughs> who were so inclined. Yes. Chuck Polinick actually wrote six of his friends into this movie. <laughs> actually, into the book. Right. That who was then adapted. ended up in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I was able to bring my friends to the set and say, Tyler, this is Tyler. Marla, this is Marla. <laughs> How cool are you? If Brad Pitt ends up playing you, hello, uh, I want to meet that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe I don't. <laughs> if, he's based, if Tyler Durden's based off of him, maybe you don't. <laughs> I feel like. I mean, maybe in a clinical perspective. Oh well, maybe so. <laughs> I, I feel like if you're that guy in real life, you're and you got a book written with you in it. I feel like you're probably not that destructive. I feel like this must be his friends sort of unleashed. 
Like if they were like not good human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> if they'd had a little worse of a childhood, this is what they'd be like. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, what convenience store is the lighting in the movie based upon? Mm, what convenience store is the lighting in the movie based on? I'm going to go with 7-Eleven. Yes. Ah, you got it. <laughs> Good job. There's something about that glow. There's something, and something about on that. The uh-huh. Something about that particular light. And I'm like, spot on. It is spot on. Because at two o'clock in the morning, there's a very particular particular sort of ambiance in a 7-Eleven. There is. There Mm -hmm. is. True or false, they made the cave actually cold enough to be able to see the actor's breaths when they were doing the imagined cave scene. I'm going to go with true. Oh, that's false. It's false? It was all added in post. It was special effects. And it's the same dying breaths that they use for Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. Wow. Uh-huh. They used the same CG. I mean, in 99, I, I was worried to say that it would be CGI because, mm-hmm. well, we all remember lots of movies with crappy special effects mm-hmm. from those days. Yeah. And they looked so amazing at the time. And then you go back and you're like, oh, I thought these held up really they well. They held up really well. I thought the the penguin looked really good. Oh, yeah. 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 That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well done. Oh, thank you. Thank That's you. That's fun. Uh, thank you. Th- thanks for ha- for having an impromptu uh, yeah. trivia sequence with I me. I think I actually did better on yeah. that than I did last oh. night. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. That's what matters. That, that is what matters. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're going to go into the, is it true? Is it true? So, There's got to be a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to have to narrow it down. I'm sure. Um, I, yes, I have <laughs> narrowed, I've narrowed it down. You've done that work already. I've, I've done some of that. Mm-hmm. What is the narrator's name? <laughs> so uh, Chuck Polinick said that, confirmed that he was never given a name in the book and that the only reason that they put it in the screenplay was to give him a name in place so they didn't have to put the narrator the whole time. The whole time. Yeah, they just, they called him Jack. And right. so when you watch like the special features on the 10th anniversary DVD, they call him Jack the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Well, yeah. and he's got all these wonderful quotes, um, you know, from, because he kind of quotes that Magic School Bus book um and the i am jacks whatever i am jacks whatever and there's like a hundred of them throughout the whole movie and it's just so funny because it's such a great way of having that internal monologue Uh uh-huh like i am jack's raging bile duct you know or i am jack's uh, unleashed revenge or whatever you know like there's all of these quotes all throughout so it makes sense that it was jack yeah in the screenplay. All right. So how did Chuck Polinick come up with the idea of sending someone to a bunch of support groups? Because <laughs> I'm like, that would have never occurred to me. So it's there's actually an interesting story. I'm like, did he crash a bunch of them? Not exactly. He was volunteering for a hospice. And because he didn't have a, a lot of skills that were necessary, he was what they called an escort. Okay. <laughs> and so he took people who were dying to support groups. Oh. And he'd sit there and wait so that he could return them back to their wherever they were staying, so home or facility. Used to being <laughs> there and well, he not... said it was really weird to be the healthy person sitting there in group of all these 
dying people. I mean, they were literally dying. They're all on hospice, you know, and he, yeah. that's where he kind of came up with the idea of somebody becoming addicted to support group because he could see how it affected people and how somebody could really feel heard mm-hmm. in that setting in a way that they don't in their normal life. You know, there's a Golden Girls episode. Of course there is. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Golden Girls episode when Rose's boyfriend, Miles, realizes he's going to live longer than he thought and he hadn't budgeted. Right? So he, and so he becomes really tight with money and um, it's driving Rose crazy. And so he starts coming up with some very unique things for them to do. Aww. And one of them is to go to the, as he calls it, the theater of the living because there's free refreshments and it's entertaining, and it's an AA meeting. Oh, no. And so there's this whole idea of crashing the support group because it's kind of interesting and uh-huh. whatever, and there's refreshments. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Wow. That's... It's a funny episode. She goes out with like a other group of, of men with Blanche to a restaurant and gets caught and, and he's all upset, right? Miles is all upset. Like, how could you do this to me? And Rose is like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to eat behind your back. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a hysterical episode. That's so funny. All right. Can you die of insomnia? Yes. Sort of. Well, you die of something else, but it's because of insomnia. Yes. I, there was an article in the New York Times. Dr. Michael Thorpe and Dr. Shelby Friedman Harris did some studies and they performed some research on rats in 1989 that showed that complete sleep deprivation for two to three weeks will cause them to die. Mm-hmm. But that's like sleep deprivation, which is a little different than insomnia. Like being insomnia is like the inability to fall asleep, but sleep deprivation is like they purposely kept them awake. So it was a little bit different in the the way that they were studying it. They could recognize the differences that it wasn't something biological keeping the rats from sleeping. It was that they were preventing them from sleeping. Yeah. There's a slight difference there, but insomnia is sleep deprivation. Yes. And there is an extremely rare genetic disorder known as fatal familia, familial insomnia. It's only identified in like 40 families in the world has only led to the death of about a hundred people. And it's a brain disorder where they produce a rare protein that keeps them from sleeping and they die within a couple of years of the onset of that because they literally just don't sleep. They don't. So those people literally die of sleep, but for most people, it doesn't directly lead to your death, but it can cause you put you at much greater risk for developing other serious medical conditions that have a high mortality. And so consistently sleeping less than six hours a night impairs your cognitive function significantly. Yeah. Um, Like it's like being drunk. It's awful. And the problem is that it does depend on how much sleep you're actually getting because you could have insomnia and actually still be sleeping, which is that separation you made between sleep deprivation and, and insomnia. Right. But if you have insomnia and you're literally not sleeping and you're at like maybe 30 minutes or something, you really do start to break down and your organs start to break down, um, your cognitive abilities. So it really can be a really serious problem. Yeah. Um, it's not like, 
It's not like a dog who doesn't like their food, and when they get hungry enough, they'll eat it. It's not like that. Yeah, it's you, not when like, you get tired enough, you won't just fall asleep. Right. You, you really do need to seek medical attention if you are not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> yes, yes. But, well, it takes a fairly short amount of time for you to l- literally have mental health issues. One night. You can know, I mean, we all know that. Oh, I didn't yeah. sleep well. Like, and you can feel the differences. Um, right. But and most people, oh, I didn't sleep well for the past couple of nights. They'll sleep well in the next few nights. Yeah. They'll kind of reset themselves. It kind of resets. Okay. But yeah. like, if you have a circadian rhythm problem where you're not sleeping correctly, or there's lots of treatments out there that can really help, but, um, but it is a medical condition and it yeah. can be, can be bad. And most often, it's the psychiatric symptoms that come on that cause real problems because right. you start hallucinations, right. you start breaks from reality. Right. And um, those things happen before heart failure, kidney right. failure. Which is a... Which so, are absolutely... Mm-hmm. Th- those are the things you're at higher risk for. But just a few nights of insomnia can put you at a much higher risk for depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if you're not sleeping, go to the doctor... Yes. However, I will give you some good news. Studies do show that that night of cramming absolutely works. Really? Yeah. So if you're going to do it, do it. Huh. Yep. Oh, because I never did. I never did that. I always read that you remembered things better if you sleep. And so I, I can remember my first biology test in college. I stayed up like till midnight or so and studied. Uh-huh. And then I went to bed and slept. And I had a friend who stayed up all night Yep. And studied, she bombed the tests and I Well, overall, well it. it's true. You learn yeah. better when you sleep, but it's a matter of when did you study. Yeah, that's true. So if you're going to cram, cram it, and then take the test. Yeah. But if you cram it and then sleep too little or too much between, it's uh-huh. kinda, there's, a, there's a sweet spot there. Yeah. But you can get away with it. But overall, you learn things better. Right. Um, but when you cram, you're not learning. You're using your, your short-term, short-term memory. memory. <laughs> and that's a different thing. And so if you've got something you need to brain dump immediately because you just need to get the grade and get out, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Don't waste the space of learning that mess. <laughs> cram it and go. <laughs> Says the woman in a graduate degree. Hey, the last class I was in was actually sleep and mental health. Oh, there we go. My professor is a foremost researcher of sleep Sweet. in the in the field, yeah. and um, Dr. Pace Scott. So if you if you see that name anywhere, pretty amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of sleep and things you can do. <laughs> thought valerian root was something that you'd find in game of thrones i mean right <laughs> no it's a real thing is it really yeah it's an herb that's uh native to europe and parts of asia and also is now grown in north america because of human intervention but it's commonly used to treat sleep disorders it's that? like it's uh before they really realized melatonin mm-hmm. was a thing, this was what was commonly I recommended. Gotcha. So I think most doctors will tell you melatonin now. Absolutely. But valerian root might also work. Interesting. I, I don't know that I would just like dig up a valerian plant and chew its root. I don't know how that works. Seems like the dosage would be off. Well, that's always the problem with herbs and yeah. and things of sorts that you buy that aren't medicines, as they're not dosed properly. <laughs> or maybe don't contain the thing that they say they contain. Or that's maybe a, not. That's a whole... I'm not going to get into all that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. 
So uh, do oxygen masks, are they there to keep us docile? I can't wait to hear what this is about because I got to tell you, I love that scene. It's, it's so just funny. It's one of those opening moments where you're kind of like, that might actually make sense. <laughs> it makes sense, but it's false. Not true. <laughs> it's not true. It's really because the cabin pre- cabin will lose pressure and there's a lot less oxygen high up. And really, there's not a ton of oxygen in there. For, it's just enough till you get down to a an altitude where there's enough oxygen that you can breathe normally. Right. So it's a really, it's a life-saving measure. It's not to... Not to get you high. Actually, if you want to be high, don't put the oxygen mask on. Uh, right. Because uh, <laughs> that'll make you loopy. Yeah. And astronauts actually spend several hours breathing pure oxygen prior to a spacewalk just to have a lot of oxygen in their blood. So if something happens, if there's a malfunction in their suit, they have more in their bloodstream so that they can give them a little bit more time to get back to a safe location. It doesn't get you high. But if you, they do have oxygen bars. I they do at at uh, Las Vegas because it like makes you feel more awake and stuff. It is supposed to. Yeah, it's supposed to make you feel better. I, there used to be some in all the malls and things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of those have since closed. Yeah, I think it's still a thriving business in Las Vegas. I, say, I really do like breathing. Uh, yeah, breathing's great. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things it's to do. So awesome. <laughs> All right, the soap making was really pretty accurate. So you can make soap from lots of different things, but you can render fat from cooking grease. So like you can make soap from your baking grease or you can get it from a butcher. You can get uncooked fat from a butcher and make it that way. I'm not going to go into all that, but the we already learned that the men learned how to make actual soap. If you want to see how that's done, read how accurate that is, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, or you can send us an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. So if you'd like to make your own luxury soap, (laughs) I don't recommend stealing it from a liposuction center. But but my question is, is there a black market where I can sell my fat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to learn how to do liposuction. Oh. Yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I'd be happy to go and donate my fat for the betterment of, of high-end soap. Be great. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. So how about the blowing up buildings and debt? Oh man, you know, it's one of those fantasy, you, you kind of hope that resets the system, but you know, internet and web does not work that way. No, we refer to this business insider did a whole article on it and we refer to, you know, the credit card company, Discover, American Express, MasterCard, all those. Um, But they're all, they're their own whole network of stuff. You can't, it's not like it's all housed in one place and it's all computerized even then. Even then. And then, you know, if you have things like mortgages and car loans and things, when you wipe out all that stuff, you can erase that people owned 
this asset at all. So if you erase mortgages, okay, you don't have to pay it anymore, but there's no proof that you own it now. Right. So, so <laughs> yeah, e- exactly. But who does own it? I don't know. And then they got to work all that out. And, and for things like student loans, yeah, those are all guaranteed by the government. So yeah, you don't have any student loan debt, but um, your tax bill just got bigger because now the government's got to pay for all that stuff. So. Right. Yeah, it doesn't exactly work that way. No, but the sentiment is, uh, is well presented. All right. <laughs> Let's do our psychology break. Psychology right. break. <laughs> so I'm going to let you talk a little bit on stuff because I want to know what you think is up with the narrator. Is it schizophrenia, dissociative identity disorder, DID, which you mentioned earlier? There's certainly antisocial stuff, but I'd like to know, you know, since he's not a real person. He's not a real person. We can, you can diagnose him because you know as much that. about him as anybody else. <laughs> we try not to diagnose real people. We might say they have certain tendencies if we're watching like a documentary where we can see some of that based on what we've seen. Now, obviously, neither of us are clinicians. We're not here to diagnose anybody. But since this fictional character. We can what, try. What's up with Ed Norton in this movie? Oh, I mean, it's just difficult. Uh-huh. But... Also, I think, I would argue, it was kind of plainly obvious that it's multiple personality. Okay. so I would say dissociative identity disorder. The reason I say that is because he isn't actually hallucinating. He is hallucinating and seeing someone there and he's talking to them. So to say that it could be schizophrenia, fine. But he's also losing time. Right. He's noticing that he never sees two people in the same room. He notices that. So it's kind of a mix, right? Yeah. Um, and is there that, are some diagnoses that have a, more of a mix of those dimensional properties. Okay. Right. So um, is that common or is that uncommon? I would say it's just generally uncommon. Well, all of it's generally, generally uncommon, uncommon. But I mean, but within the group of people who suffer from schizophrenia or DID, yeah. Is it uncommon for them to overlap or I would say I would say that it's it's uncommon for it to overlap like it's presented here. Okay. To have some of those dimensional personality traits that you might find in one disorder and another that kind of overlap, that'd be more normal. Okay. Like the paranoia or the hallucination or things of that sort. Um, you know, you might see some overlap, but I wouldn't say that it's common to somebody would have DID and schizophrenia. Right. Okay. Like that would be kind of hard. That would be, it really, it'd be one of your personalities is schizophrenic. (gasps) Oh my gosh. And one of yours isn't right. Because that the ID is actually like really kind of, yeah, like separated, which is why this is kind of awkward. Right. Because we know that he's actually talking to Tyler. Like he's, a separate entity, right. which is what hints at the schizophrenia. Right. But then he loses time yeah. and has to chase down yeah, what where Tyler he's did. Been. Right. Right. He's, he is both people. The schizophrenic would not be both people. They literally hear right. or see. Yeah. Less so common. it's taken some liberties. It's taken some liberties. Mm. But the reason I mentioned primal fear. Mm-hmm. It's oh, because yeah. primal fear is Ed Norton playing somebody with DID. Really? Oh. Now you'll have to watch the movie because I'm not going to spoil it for you. Okay. Okay. But but his portrayal of this identity disorder yeah, is true. really interesting. Okay. Have in you ever film. seen the United States of Tara? No. It's a whole series. Ooh. 
th- about a woman with DID mm-hmm. and how she navigates life. Like she was on medication for a long time and then had to, I think, go off her medication and had to like deal with her and you get to know all of her personalities. <laughs> it's so cool. I bet it it's is. A, I think it was really, I thought really good. And that was the first time that I realized or that I was made aware that it's called dissociative identity disorder and not multiple personality disorder. Well, it's just the older, that's just the older term. You know, it's kind of like we used to say manic depressive um, or manic depression. And now we say bipolar. Right. We've just gotten a little bit more clinical and then tried to be more specific about the way that we name these things. But DID is because... Well, multiple personalities can come about for different reasons. Right. And you can dissociate in different ways. Right. And so this is, I would say this is more like a DID because you can dissociate from yourself in such a way that it, that if if it were to happen, and this is, boy, this is armchair thinking, if, if it were to happen, I think you would be more likely to have this sort of DID happen with this schizophrenic kind of thing uh-huh, going on where you're, where you're talking to, to somebody else rather than being schizophrenic and actually be the same person. I don't right. feel like it would have to go the other way, but right. I don't know. But yeah, they took some liberties. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then there was this whole thing where the narrator fantasized about a plane crash. Um, and then there actually was a car crash. And so I was kind of like, okay, so we've all kind of been there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of think you're driving the car and you kind of think, what if I just drove off this bridge? Yeah, and right. you're not <laughs> suicidal. Nope. You just kind of, it's kind of a thought experiment of what would happen. What would happen if? Yeah. What if I just do something totally antisocial right now yeah. and like just ram into that car? Yeah. yeah. So it's sometimes called the pole. This article in Jalopnik, Rachel Tolls, a psychologist, said it's it's really kind of a idea of anxiety, mm-hmm. and it's it's been around. I mean, for really for as long as there's been people, it's been around. But Edgar Allan Poe kind of talked about it. I, we just talked about the following not that long ago, and um, he called it the imp of the perverse which is the urge to do the worst possible thing in a given situation. And the pull isn't the only name. Some people call it the call of the void. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's the translation of a French term, l'appel de vide, which is literally the call of the void. And there is some science behind that. And April Smith of Miami University in Ohio has studied it. She called it the high place phenomenon because she was looking at it from the perspective of standing like on a cliff, like if you're at the Grand Canyon and you were standing in a high place where there wasn't a railing. Some people kind of have the urge to like lean over a little too far or yeah. to take a step when they shouldn't. And she said it's really a miscommunication in your brain that your brain is really saying, hey, watch out. And things get turned around a little bit. And so you kind of have this feeling like you want to step forward instead of back. Interesting. Yeah. Which I was like, huh. And then, you know, you kind of get the, you, or you take a step back and you realize, well, I was never really in danger. So maybe there is a railing and you look and you have an urge to step forward, but you take a step back because your brain is telling you to be careful Mm because you shouldn't fall. And that you 
are suddenly realizing, well, why did I take a step back? There's a railing. I was completely safe. It's just a little misfire in the brain that can cause that. So intrusive thoughts is what they're typically called or impulsive, but they're common. And, you know, if you feel yourself desiring to act upon them in a literal physical way and more than just like entertaining the thought and having it as a thought experiment. You should definitely talk to a professional. Definitely. And what I love about this movie is it actually kind of just explores that. Yes. It's not afraid of it. And that's kind of the idea, right? Right. And there's this one scene and I can't quote it because it's filthy, but um, (laughs) you know, when Tyler shows up in the hotel room and he's like, I look like what you want to look and I do what you want to do. And the Uh whole idea is that he has these intrusive thoughts that are so antisocial out of his anxiety, out of his lack of purpose, out of his emptiness. And he's just trying to create purpose and freedom. And and one of the things Tyler says is I'm free. Like you want to be free. Yeah. And it is interesting how sometimes when you feel more trapped, that's when those thoughts come more often. Mm, Yes. I've noticed that. It's anecdotal. It's not like a study. I'm just saying like, I've noticed that, Right. you know, and, and I think the movie kind of portrays that human thing. It's just particular. For sure. For sure. All right. Real life. Real life. Okay, so this one's in quotes. <laughs> Real life. So your penguin is a spirit animal. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I don't, I don't know how much research they did about a penguin being a spirit animal and what that is thought to possibly mean. Uh, you have to believe in spirit animals, first of all. First of all, you do. Penguin, spirit animal symbolizes community and togetherness and a need for teamwork and social connection, which I'm like, Oh, well, that's kind of interesting because that's kind of what he did with the whole fight club and project mayhem. He was trying to like build a social network. He was, he was trying to build a group of people who were like-minded. And I don't know that that was really a great idea for him, but I, I can appreciate that. That's kind of what his person His person, his spirit animal represented. That makes sense. Yeah. Also kind of symbolizes uh, purpose and order, which, okay, so you watch this movie and you're like, there was no purpose to the fighting and there was very little order to it, but there was a purpose to the fighting and there was a whole lot of order. Oh yeah. Like there were rules. There's total order. Yeah. And in fact, what's interesting though is his his regular personality, right? Like who he is has so much order that it's out of balance the other way, which yes. is why he is so imprisoned by it. He's just not finding healthy healthy space. Yeah. The outlets mm-hmm. outside of work, yeah, to find himself. It's symbol of renewal. I'm like Oh, well, yeah, because he really wanted to be someone new. That makes sense. Um, You can experience even the toughest challenges and come out victorious. Hmm. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. I don't know how much research they did on that, but if they did, they did a good job. They did a great job. Either intentionally or accidentally, and I would guess it's probably... Yeah, I would assume that the author of the book likely did the research. <laughs> and they Back just in a time it. when it was harder to do that kind of research, because right? there, are there a lot of books about spirit animals in the library? 
Not at my local library. I don't know. At least not in the early mid nineties when he wrote this. Who knows? I mean, it's not like a subject I ever went and looked up. So no, a movie projectionist is a dying profession because it's almost all digital now. But there are a group of people trying to keep the whole profession alive. Aww. Yeah. This is from the New York Times. In this particular theater that they were visiting, they said that even the newest of the projectors are almost antiques because they're only 10 years old about, but the companies who manufacture them are out of business. And, oh, I don't exactly miss it, but I remember seeing the little spots, which are the changeovers. That's what a changeover is, is the little spot. They see the spot, the first one they see it, and then the second time is when they change the film. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they did that was because not so much because the rolls the film themselves couldn't be larger, but because the light bulbs in the projectors only had about a 20 minute lifespan at first. So they would have about 20 minutes of movie. So if you watched a, you know, a two hour movie, they're going to change the roles six times and they'd have two projectors. So their projector job was pretty busy Right, you know, because they're one changing, yeah, to yeah, and then changing out the film, and they had to change out the light bulbs because the gotcha. light bulbs only lasted about twenty minutes. I see. Yeah. yeah, and then once they did better with the the light bulbs in the sixties and seventies, they started to get better light bulbs. Mm-hmm. Then they were limited by the size that they could have. So you would have shorter movies wouldn't need any changeovers. Longer movies might only need one. Makes sense. Yeah. At one point in the 1940s, there was over 30,000 projectionists in the United States. And uh, now there's fewer than 5,000 nationwide. Just because, you know, it's almost all digital. It's cheaper. You, It's less room for error. That You know, when you have a film, you have to send it off to be processed. And there's chances for errors in that. There's people can like sneak frames in there of pornography and family friendly <laughs> films. <laughs> yup. Though you obviously heard the the sound that went along with that. Yeah, and that would and not have been no, true. No, that because the sound that actually on film the sound tape is different. Different. It's a whole thing. Nevertheless, it was funny in the movie. Yeah, it was really funny in the movie. Now the job is more of a IT guy for a projectionist. True. You, it's it's more because it's all digital, whereas projectionists in years gone by had to be able to mechanically fix things that went wrong. Now it's a you got to reboot a server and you know corrupted files and things like that. Yeah. It's a much different kind of job than it was in years past. But I thought that was kind of interesting. It is really interesting. Project Mayhem? Based <laughs> on a real organization. Oh. Yeah. So the... Conco- the mm, the conco- mm. Cacophony? Yes. You know why I like this word a lot? Because I, I say it wrong on purpose. Oh, okay. Because cacophony actually sounds sort of pretty. A cacophony. Uh-huh. And so it just doesn't sound like it means. And so I call it a cacophony. A cacophony. 
<laughs> because it does. It's just this sounds like caca. Yeah, and that's what, yeah, yeah so that's fair. That's my little fun. <laughs> so the cacophony society, which is like cacophony, is like a, a loud. It's a noise. jumble of noises. Yeah, it's like a yeah. It's it's chaos out of harmony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. Uh, randomly gathered network of free spirits united in the pursuit of experiences beyond the pale of mainstream society. (laughs) So they were pretty active uh, up until just a few years ago. They started in the mid eighties. It was kind of like pranks, but not typically anything very destructive, kind of like the first the earlier sets of pranks that they did, you know, I mean, those were destructive and antisocial, but they didn't really harm anybody. And then they got Mm. a little more harmful the more they went along. But their website hasn't been updated in a long time, like six years. It's been, it's been a minute. I think it, I think it has to do with the prevalence of cameras. Well, yeah, I really would, cause, would actually make it much harder. Yeah. And uh, Chuck Polinick was actually in the Portland chapter, Portland or Seattle, one of those, one of those uh, West Coast chapters for a time. And that's where he got the idea of Project Mayhem. What if we took it a little step further? And the website for the Cacophony Society, the last thing that they have was a, a whole post it was kind of a blog a whole post about another organization that quote unquote fixed billboards that was pretty funny they made them a little better they they fixed them look oh i fixed it (laughs) (laughs) it was much funnier when they were done it makes me think of gilmore girls and at Yale, mm-hmm. where she's at, and, and they have the life and death brigade. Yes. And it's like a secret society, and they do. And they have that whole ready-for-anything sort of um, thing. And they do all these stunts and stuff like that. But it's usually not too antisocial. It's very internal. Like, they create experiences sort of for themselves. And that's also kind of based off of secret societies that are like that at Yale and other places. So kind of makes me think of that, but it also makes me think of there's an internet group and an anonymous. Oh yeah. Which kind of, which kind of does the same thing from a hacker perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of anonymous, I thought the whole financial thing seemed really familiar. Yeah. (laughs) So I put this under real life because I didn't quite know where else to talk about it, (laughs) but it's, uh, very much the same plot as Mr. Robot. Did you ever watch that show? Not much. Okay. It got super confusing after the first couple of seasons. Like it was super confusing in the first couple of seasons, but it was kind of that confusion where you're like, I'm not really supposed to understand this. I'm just going to enjoy it for the ride it is. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of went off the rails for me. A lot of people still really loved it, but I thought it sounded really familiar, so I went and looking, and like Looper had an article, all the ways Mr. Robot ripped off Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> like, fair, because it all seemed really That's interesting really and familiar, because Elliot, who's paid, played by uh, Rami Malek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who was uh, Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and Ed Norton. They have an imaginary friend, and it's really an unrestrained, instinctual part of their psyche. 
So yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's off. totally like the exact same thing. Elliot fights himself in Mr. Robot, much like Ed uh, Norton does. He does such I a mean, good job with that. It's just so funny. It's really funny. He pulls that scene off so well. Yeah, Ed, Ed Norton is a very, uh, really good physical actor. Yeah. You gotta be to play this part. And everything he does. He's just such a good physical actor. He's actually one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. I love him. Both men in these shows used physical violence to rid themselves of their delusion, eliminating everybody's debt. That was the whole theme of the whole first season of (laughs) Mr. Robot was this whole idea of that Bration Uh owned like 70% of the debt in the country or the world. I don't remember exactly, but a lot. And Uh if they destroyed their Iron Mountain type servers that everybody would be free. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. let me just call it a fight club, the show. I mean- <laughs> yeah. Well, and kind of. And um, Sam Eshmel, who was the showrunner creator of Mr. Robot, even admitted that he used the song, Where's My Mind by the Pixies from Fight Club because he really he wanted to make it clear to the audience that that was an inspiration for the show. Oh, okay. So, Fair. I mean, he's not even like trying to hide it. He's well, always good. wanted to kind of own it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm always about for owning. Yeah. Just own yeah. It. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's only about 300 or so stories for humanity <laughs> and we're all thinking of new ways to tell the same story over and over again. We do you know? tend to do that. That's, and then every once in a while you get just a brand new story that's just so very interesting. Mm-hmm. For instance, talking about Oscars, Parasite. Mm. Big winner. It and it was such good. an upset. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. It's a new story, man. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's hints of other stories, right? There's always because it's all interconnected. Right. But uh yeah, that's a good story. Ooh, that's one of those that I need to definitely need go to go back and see. All right. Well, we're gonna go back in time a little further than even the late 1990s for our next episode. (laughs) We're going to go to Young Guns because we haven't covered a Western of any kind. We haven't. And I don't particularly usually care for Westerns. True Grit was um, an outlier for me as something that I enjoyed and appreciated. I really only like the remake. Yeah, that's fair. But this is... All about Billy the Kid. There's revenge for a murder, and it has an all star cast before they were all stars. Yep. It's that they were all up and comers in 1988. This is something we have to see. So we're going to dive in and do it. Yeah. We're just going to. We're just going to do it. We're just going to give it a try. We'll see. So, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We know that you make a choice when you listen to us. We don't just come on the radio, and we so appreciate it. Find us on the social media. Tell a friend. It's way more fun to listen to the show when you can talk to about somebody afterwards. You can always talk to us on the social media, but do talk to a friend. Introduce a friend to it. Just do it. Just do it. Share, share, share. Yeah, because it's way more fun. fun. And we're free. So, you know, just... Yeah, and we're better than crashing support groups. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That should become our new tagline. (laughs) Killer fun. Better than support groups. 
Or no, better than crashing support groups. Yeah. Still working it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. Look for that in the bonus episode. Ooh, ooh, ooh. What? One more question. What's that? Is Marla real or fictional? Marla is real. I agree. You agree? I think Marla is real. There's a whole lot of articles about how Marla's fictional and how she's a different aspect of Ed Norton's psyche in just the same way that Tyler is. And I don't agree. I don't agree either. Yeah. It's an interesting thought experiment. It is. But hard no. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Seriously, a hard no. Because that would get real awkward real fast. Oh, yeah. For sure. All right. We'll see you next time.